The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio with your host, Ann Gelsheimer. We are entering higher levels of consciousness with both old and new spiritual technologies to help us be the people we've always dreamed of being. We can make the choice to evolve in consciousness and become the change the world needs today. Now, here is Ann Gelsheimer. Hello, and welcome to Conscious Evolution Radio. This is your host, Ann Gelsheimer, and this is actually part two of what's been a powerful, paradigm-shifting interview with author Helen Luttrell. In my previous interview with Helen, we introduced the book Rachel's Eyes that was written by Helen and another woman named Jean Bilodeau and was released in 2005. So the book was based on Helen's memories of actual events and outlined her encounters with a young woman in the 1970s who was a human-ET hybrid. This young woman's name was Rachel, and she had enrolled in an American college as part of the highly classified project known as the Humanization Project. This was a kind of genetic social experiment to determine if hybrid persons could integrate into mainstream human society. Rachel, the young woman who was the hybrid, she shared an apartment with Helen's daughter Marissa. And Marissa was visually impaired and living on her own at an American college. In the previous interview, we reviewed the conscious memories and experiences that Helen had in connection with Rachel during the period in the 1970s and also some of the validating information that she was able to collect. In this interview, we're actually going to go down a few levels and we're going to go deeper into the fascinating backstory of the paranormal events that Helen experienced as a young woman and her recovered memories as she worked with hypnotherapist Dr. June Steiner. Over two years of hypnotic regression sessions, Helen began to understand the depth of her own involvement and the role that she had with Rachel long before her daughter and Rachel became roommates at that American college. In this interview, we'll be discussing Helen's fascinating experiences of what I'm calling expanded consciousness. And we're approaching this expanded consciousness from the perspective that these seemingly unusual abilities are part of our potential as human beings. And in terms of the abilities I'm referring to, I'm talking about telepathy, information downloads, travel to other locations in the blink of an eye, possibly even time travel, and so much more. So, Helen, welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio, and thanks for taking time to take us even deeper into your story. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me. I I appreciate it so much. So, Helen, you have had uh, very interesting paranormal experiences happening throughout your life from the time you were a child. 
including uh, seeing uh, UFOs. So would you tell us about the earliest experiences you had that you recall at this time? Probably the earliest experiences would be um, about the same time as I was seeing the lights in the sky, but the, the very earliest, I believe, were uh, blue orbs, little blue lights. And as a child, I wasn't really allowed to have playmates. And um, we did live out in the country, but that wasn't the real reason. It was something else, I guess, uh, that I never did understand. But at any rate, um, I would make up my, I, I would have my own playmates, and they came to visit with me, and they weren't visible, but they were there, and they would talk to me. This was probably the beginning of telepathy for right. me. Because they would speak to me, and then I could speak back to them. I discovered, and I, I remember, well, maybe I don't remember the exact first time, but, but it was always a surprise to me that I could answer them. But it wasn't any problem at all, no surprise that I could understand what they were saying. But at any rate, I think this is where my uh, telepathic abilities began, but um, they came to see me regularly, um, and it was such a good thing because I just, for whatever reason, was not allowed to have the human playmates. Um, and, and these imaginary playmates, finally, um, they began to bring little blue lights with them. And I'm not sure that these lights were visible to my family. I don't think they were, or they would have raised a big fuss over it. So I'm thinking that only I could see the blue lights. They were little, like uh, maybe the size of a tennis ball, not any bigger than that. Okay. And they would dance around, and, and uh, I don't remember them speaking to me. But the uh, invisible playmates spoke a lot more often and, and faster Oh, when the blue lights were there, and I, I don't understand that either, not even after thinking about it a lot. But that lasted for quite a while, and uh, somewhere in the meantime, probably when I was seven or so, uh, maybe six, I began seeing lights in the sky, and I would see them in the same place every night, and they would be all different colors. And it looked to me like they would land at a certain place way back in the woods from uh, quite a distance from where I lived, but yet they would they would uh, move all over the sky, all over the house, and they would to me they were really visible, and I was so excited because they were so beautiful, and I enjoyed them, and, and I tried to tell my family, and they said they didn't want to hear any more of that nonsense, and they said, what would people think? And even at that young age, I didn't really care what people thought. I mean, I saw what I saw, and, right. and I wanted to share it with someone. And I wouldn't be quiet about it. And finally, when I was a year or so older, it was still going on, and they told me, if you don't stop this, we will have you committed to an insane asylum. Wow. And in those days, this was back in um, mid to late 30s, because I'm quite old now, <laughs> but uh, in the mid to late 30s, you could have that happen to anyone you needed to put away. You could just have your doctor sign a paper and that, child, uh, that person would never see daylight again. Mm -hmm. And so I knew they weren't just threatening me. They, they, 
they really meant that. And so I decided that I would not talk about any of these things that I was seeing or any imaginary playmates or anything like that. I would never talk about it until I got older and it was safe. And it took me a long time to get to where I considered it was a safe thing to do. Now, did you always have those memories? Um, even before you began the hypnotic regression, did you remember the blue lights and the lights in the sky? Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, yes. Okay. That's been with me forever. Now, let's, let's jump forward uh, to uh, doing the hypnotic regressions. What made you decide to work with Dr. Steiner? Well, she was a friend of someone I knew, a very good friend, um, and it was suggested that since I just couldn't recall all of the details, I could recall it's like meeting Rachel uh, that one time uh, that we talked about in the other interview, right. um, that I met her one time and uh, was so shocked at her appearance. Um, I thought there was more to it than that. And uh, there were other incidents that I I'd remember, little bits and pieces of them, but not the whole thing. And it, what I could remember didn't make sense in itself. And so anyway, this good friend of mine suggested uh, that he would contact June and, and see what she thought about maybe doing one or two regressions. Well, she was more than happy to do it, uh, even though she had to travel like 200, 250 miles to do it. Um, so anyway, we got her uh, engaged for uh, one whole weekend, and um, they went. The regressions went very well. I was worried at first that we might not have a good rapport, or that she would regress me and I couldn't come back. <laughs> there were all kinds of fears that I had, <laughs> but none of them were true. Everything worked out fine. She's she's a sweet lady and. And she brought me back every time. Now, the information that started to come forward really gave some depth to all those experiences that we talked about in our last show. So I apologize to those who haven't heard that yet, but you might want to go back and, and check out part one of this interview uh, before you listen to this interview. But for those who uh, have heard about your meeting with Rachel and your contact with her eyes and... Um, very fascinating experience. What did the hypnotic regression uh, with Dr. Steiner reveal to you that you didn't have conscious recall of? Well, it, that particular regression, which was my very first one, by the, the way, we wanted to start okay. at the beginning and uh, work our way through because we had a whole list of things that, that needed to be gone into. But June took me back to the day that I was standing in the doorway and met Rachel, or caught Rachel. That was it. And um, so we, we started with that. I was standing there holding her arm. It was like a, a, a stop in a film or something. It, it was just a, a, like a shot uh, of me standing there. And then she told me to move around, to move to a different position. And she said, uh, is there anything else? that you see besides her eyes. And um, I said, yes, there is. It's, it's her hands. And I began to cry. 
and I remember crying and shaking, and and she calmed me down and, and put her hand on my arm. And so I was able to go on with what I saw and um, in a more calm state, and I was looking at her hands, and they only had four fingers on mm-hmm. each hand. They were all... Uh, what should have been the sum was almost as long as the other four. The, the other four, or the other three, were all the same length. And what I thought should have been the sum was almost as long. But none of them had any fingernails. And I think that, uh, no fingernails, I think was what just pushed me over the edge into the crying and being so upset. But after I calmed down, she she made me go back and look again. She said, "Move around to the other side and, and and look at her, look at both hands. You can see them from over there." And I looked, and, and that was still how they looked, but it didn't upset me the second time. Right, and that makes sense to me, Helen, because it would be such a, a shock to suddenly realize that you were looking at someone who. Uh, the small detail revealed is probably not human. Yes. Yeah, that really uh, cemented it for me. I mean, I didn't think it was that she was human as I looked into her eyes. Because these, and and touched her arm, uh, the skin, those uh, things weren't features of a human person, a being. Um, But yet it wasn't that definite. I could maybe accept that, but I could not accept the hands. Right. That was completely different. Yes. Now, we only have a few minutes to break. I'm almost not sure whether to start the next section, but I really want to get to what, when you actually took another look into her eyes, you really had some very interesting experiences. Maybe we could just start to talk about that, and no, we'll take a break in a few minutes. Okay. Well, as I looked into her eyes, my first reaction was a terrible amount of fear. I just, I just didn't know what I was looking at, but I knew again that it wasn't human. But I knew that she could take me places with mm. her eyes, and she Thanks. did do that later on. She did take me. Uh, to where she was raised, that's where she said that she was raised, uh, by just looking into her eyes. But uh, it's like time stood still as I was standing there looking at her. I don't know how many minutes passed. I don't think very many could have. And I'm just not sure. But even now, while I'm talking to you, I'm getting that feeling that I got when I looked into her eyes, and that was many, many years ago. That is fascinating. So it's, it's, and it's very hard to articulate those kinds of experiences because it's just so profound and so deep. Why don't we take a break right here? Because when we do go into the journey she took you on later to where she was from, it's, it's very, there's a lot of information there. Oh, yeah. So let's take a break right here. Uh, This is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we will be right back.
The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live, channels to a new reality, Tuesday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely, your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the Spiritual Spelunker in All of Us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio. And we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. This is Ann Gelsheimer, and my wonderful guest today is Helen Luttrell. And Helen has been uh, articulating for us the profound experience of looking into the eyes of someone who is only partially human and who is also partially ET, uh, partially Zeta. So, Helen, tell us about the experience that you uncovered through hypnotic regression where Rachel actually, through her eyes, took you somewhere. Yes. Um, that was... Um where she took me to where she said she was raised. Actually, I had stopped to see the girls. Uh, this was not a regression. This, this particular one wasn't. Uh, I had stopped to see the girls, and my daughter wasn't there, and so Rachel was. And we were standing in their kitchen, and I'm standing with my back to an old-fashioned aluminum, or not aluminum, I mean enamel-topped kitchen table. Mm-hmm. And I was standing with my back to it and one hand behind me on the table. And she was standing in the kitchen, and she said to me, I wish you could be my mother. Mm. And I said, well, Rachel, I can't be your mother. At that time, I didn't know any of the further particulars. But I I said, I could just be your friend. And she said, well, I want you to be my mother. And she (laughs) said it in those measured tones that she used. And the next thing I knew, I was standing, uh, she said, I want to show you where I was raised. The next thing I knew, I had gone somewhere with her, and I, had, I found myself on what I believe was a ship, 
I do not believe it was anything on land, not in this world. So I was standing there, and she's in front of me. There is a long row of windows that looked like glass windows about down to my waist, and the rest was solid white plastic looking. And she's on the other side of these windows, and she said, come through. And I said, I can't. Uh, there's no door, and it's just windows I can't go through. So she told me to place my hand on the outside of the window, my palm, and she would place hers on the inside of the glass at the same place as my hand was, and then I could come through. And I told her I can't do that, and, and she said, just do it. And I did it, and I was through on the other side with her. And she took me to a room that was uh, through a doorway across the hallway from where we were, and there was several rows of, like, incubators or uh, aquariums or something. There was, they were full of kind of a greenish, brackish-looking fluid, and there were fetuses kind of floating around inside, uh, fetuses of different sizes. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of them looked near birth to me. And she said that they wanted me, they, she said, wanted me to help care for those fetuses. And I'm just appalled at how awful they looked. They didn't, they certainly didn't look real, uh, I mean human. And, and it, it just made me feel sick, just nauseated to look at them. And I told her, I can't do this. And she said, that's all right. That is all right, is what she said. We have another job for you. You can be a teacher. And I said, I can't do that. I have no credentials, which I realize now was the stupidest thing to say that I could have said, <laughs> and she didn't probably know what credentials were. She said, you will talk to people, and they will listen. Hmm. And then... I found myself back in the kitchen, still leaning up against that uh, porcelain top table with my hand on it. And I remember that because it was another hot, really hot day, and the tabletop felt so cool. And that that was an episode I won't ever, ever forget. Now, that is connected to other, eventually you got more information um, regarding your relationship with Rachel. Um, her asking you to be her mother or saying she wished you were her mother, that's not completely out of thin air. What did you find out about uh, your, your past relationship with Rachel? Well, I had a lot of pregnancies um, in my younger years that... Um, they ended up as miscarriages or, or something, but one in particular I remember uh, that I, I was about to have a, a miscarriage because I started bleeding a lot. And so I went to the doctor's office, and it was a doctor that I, I don't know why I went to her because she was not a very pleasant person and she was just very strange, but she was quite close. Her office was really close within a couple blocks of where I lived, so maybe maybe that was why I went, or maybe somehow I was sent there. I, I don't know, but I remember laying on the examining table, 
and there was, again, a big blue light uh, shining down on me. It's like they're exam lights in a doc's office, but they're never blue. They're ordinary color, yellow or white or whatever. And so, I, and she had me restrained, which was unusual. I didn't think I needed that, but I didn't argue for some reason. And they um, did something inside of me, and, and she handed this thing. It was like on what they call a spoon. And it was, she handed it to the assistant, and she said, you know what to do with this. And um, then I woke up, presumably in two or three minutes, and that particular part of it was out of my memory for a long, long time, but when I was writing the book, that part of it came back to me about them taking something out of me and taking it somewhere. Hmm. I mean, somewhere out of the, the ordinary. And right. I'm wondering if that embryo might possibly have been part of Rachel's makeup hmm. combined with something E.T. or or something otherworldly. I don't know. I don't know, but I have wondered about that because that sticks in my mind is very vivid. I could tell you every detail right now. That is very interesting. So there is that sort of an intuitive sense that there may be a connection between that experience and Rachel's conception. It could be. Or development. I don't know. I have no idea for sure, but coupled with what she said in the kitchen that she wished I could be her mother, maybe I am. Right. I don't know. It's kind of a wild theory to express, but uh, this whole story about Rachel is pretty far out, too. So it's one of those things we kind of put on the shelf and we don't know. Um, but there, there does feel for you some truth to, to that experience, to that connection. Yeah. What else uh, would be good for our uh, listeners to know about what you discovered through the course of the hypnotic regressions? Um, I'm, I'm not sure, except that when Rachel. It didn't happen through regression, but it was sort of an abduction, being taken back in time, um, as to what happened to Rachel, ultimately. Oh, yes. So could you walk us through, because um, it, it is a very important and, and interesting, sad story. It is. And several years ago, but it was after the book came out, but maybe six, seven years ago, Um, I had what I thought was an abduction, and I'm not sure whether it was truly an abduction or if I was just taken back through time or or what, but at any rate, I was forced to witness... Helen, sorry, Helen, let's be clear. Who who abducted you? I believe it had to have been uh, what I call my labs, their military uh, abduction Teams. So they're human teams that, that do this kind of thing. It was, okay, thank you. Yes. And uh, they took me back to the time 
that Rachel had disappeared, and I had always wondered what happened to her. If the military took her to a safe place with the colonel, or um, I just really had no idea what happened. But they showed me once and for all. Uh, they took me, the My Labs people, took me to what I thought was a government building somewhere, because they all sort of looked the same. The old old style ones did. Mm-hmm. And this one had a big room, and it had a big wide staircase going down to the next level. And they, there were two of them that had a hold of Rachel, and two were restraining me. Two great big ones were restraining me, and there was no way that I could get free of them. And the other two that had her took her to the top of the staircase, and these were cement steps, too, that were going down. And they threw her down, I guess, hoping to break her neck. And it did break some bones, I'm sure, but it didn't kill her. So they went down, and they both took a, they took a hold of her, one on each side, and they dragged her back up, and they threw her down again. And that time, I'm not sure if her neck snapped entirely, but um, she was still moving a little bit. But they marched back down, the ones that had thrown her, and they turned her head until her neck snapped, and I heard that. Oh, my goodness. I know now what happened to her. I don't, and that wasn't a dream. That, that was not a dream. So tell me, like, what time of day? Like, were you, had you been sleeping when this happened? Or what, what do you recall about the circumstances leading up to this experience? I had been sleeping, but not very well. Okay. And I don't know what was meant. I didn't, wasn't ill or anything. I just, uh, just wasn't able to get to sleep. Uh, and I don't remember the usual circumstances of an abduction, the, the light outside the window and being taken through the wall and everything for an abduction. I don't remember that. Um, so I'm not sure if it was an actual abduction or if it was that they somehow took my mind back through time. So I had been wondering what had happened to her. Mm-hmm. I, I just can't give you a good answer on that because I don't know. And did you have a sense that this was an actual event that you were witnessing, whether it, no matter when it happened in history, that it, that this was true? Um, or was it like, a, sometimes I wonder with things like that, is it a theater or something they want to convince you is true? What, what mm-hmm. was your sense? I felt that it was true. Okay. I... I suppose it could have been, as you said, uh, trying to convince me that when maybe in reality she's, you know, alive and well, but I don't think so. I think, I think it was a true event. It was, I believe that it was. And did you get any sense why it was done so cruelly? Not exactly, um except that they operate in very cruel ways. Yes. There I've was one abduction. Yeah, there was an abduction that I had uh, where my leg was burned severely. And that was that was cruel too and uncaring. They don't care. And just for people listening, um, it was like a branding iron that they used on your ankle, and yeah. other people saw the 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 wound on your on your ankle that took quite quite a while to heal. It yes, did. 
And that, I, uh, I had the evidence. There was no question that that was uh, a theatrical thing. Uh, that was truly physical. And I remember right. the, being abducted, too, uh, per, uh, before the brand was applied. So they were two different um, circumstances. I mean, in the way they were played out. Uh, Right. So, I don't know. This whole thing has has been disturbing to me in in many ways, and it points out the cruelty of those, some of those participating in that humanization project. They they will go to whatever lengths they want to. You know, I I really sat down and thought about... um, that just that experience you had of seeing her thrown down the stairs and why would they do that? And I don't have a, an answer other than sociopathic individuals involved with uh, terminating people. But what I did get was I was reminded a friend of mine does um, experiments on animals. I'm sorry. I don't like this, but that that's something that this person does it professionally. It's scientific research. And at the end of each experiment, all the animals that have been experimented on are killed. They're, they're terminated. Mm. And that, that's what came to my mind is when the experiment, which really, Rachel was. was an experiment. Oh, yeah. and, and when that came to whatever conclusion, they'd learned whatever they did, they wanted to start a new phase of the experiment, perhaps that's why she was killed, is she was no more important to those in charge than simply a case or, a, or in the case the way we do it, you know, the, the animal and the experiment that's no longer needed anymore. It sounds as if that could be it. That could be it because she was. Just, she was sent here. And um, I don't know why the, the craft crashed and, and burned, but, and why she was a survivor, but when they found out that she was a survivor, she was immediately made uh, a part of this experimentation to see how much, uh, what degree of emotion she could acquire. And the poor thing tried as hard as she could to fit in, and then she fit in too much as far as they were concerned. She became a, a really good friend of my daughter. And, and actually, she was a, a friend of mine, even though she took me, you know, to the place where the incubators were. And, and we it had kind that, of freaked you out, yes? <laughs> you know, we had that discussion about what my job was going to be. But once we got that straight, uh, I, I thought she was a friend as much as she could be. Uh, considering what she, her origin probably was. And I'll just say to the listeners uh, who, you know, are maybe wondering um, about this idea of going back in time, and there are all kinds of things we hear uh, from witness testimony, people who have experienced my lab abductions, who uh, report similar things to what Helen's saying. The technologies that those secret uh, projects have are so advanced uh, to anything that we know. And, and reportedly, they include things like time travel, even uh, not necessarily even with our bodies, but extracting our astral essence from the body, traveling in consciousness throughout time. Very interesting um, testimony about that. And people who have trained to do that and, and have said they were part of units that uh, actually did those kinds of my labs and those kinds of uh, things to other people. Oh, yeah. So we're, 
So we're going to take a break, um, and I'm, it seems like a good time. And when we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit more about experiences you've had of, of uh, Marissa, uh, certainly what happened to her and, and Rachel as well. So this is Ann Gelsheimer on Conscious Evolution Radio, and we'll be right back. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Inside Out is the voice of the inner revolution. Join host Beth Green and co-host James Maynard for a weekly program empowering humanity to change. We heal traumas getting in our way, see ourselves more clearly, overthrow stale and destructive personal and social traditions, explore a new liberating spirituality, meet guests who are challenging old ways, and join up with others who are changing themselves and our world. Listen for Inside Out, live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. What are the benefits to combining modern science with ancient healing practices? For the answers, you'll want to tune into Frame of Mind with your host, Terry Sue. Each week, our program focuses on ways to live more holistically. By developing new ways of looking at our world, we can find ways to foster harmony and peace for the good of mankind and our planet. If we learn to live and think healthier, we begin to explore and focus on our strengths. Tune into Frame of Mind, Saturdays at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are tuned in to Conscious Evolution Radio, and we love to hear from you. Please send any questions or comments about the show via email to Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Again, that's Conscious Evolution Radio at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's program. Hello, this is Ann Gelsheimer, and welcome back to Conscious Evolution Radio. And we've been talking with my guest, Helen Luttrell, and we're coming into the final segment of, of a two-part interview, which has been fascinating and I'm sure has really challenged people who are listening to think, is that even possible? Well, if I hadn't heard multiple stories from various people, I probably wouldn't have invited you on. But what you're sharing, actually, I have heard. Richard Dolan has witnesses talking to him about it. Clifford Stone has had experiences, very interesting uh, remote viewing experiments that went on in the military. So we know very advanced technologies interfacing with consciousness have been discovered and are being used. So that was sort of where we left it off before the break. But I wanted to ask you now um, about Marissa, because we really didn't share with the listeners uh, what happened with Marissa. Well, um, sadly, she passed in 1990. Um, she had been here to visit me. We were going to have, a, or we did have, an early Thanksgiving because uh, she was having a big Thanksgiving party at her home over on the coast. Um, on the real Thanksgiving. And so um, I wanted to have a special one with her here anyway. So we, we had that, and about three weeks later, 
I received a phone call from her husband. Um, they had gone to a, a pre-Christmas party uh, from his employer, and they had gotten up to dance, and she suddenly lost consciousness. For no apparent reason, they had just had dinner, but she hadn't choked or anything, and, and everything seemed okay there, but uh, she lost consciousness, and um, although they were very close to a hospital, uh, they didn't call an ambulance or anything because it was quicker, really, to just get in the car, and uh, he gave her CPR, the two blocks to the hospital, and they were not able to revive her at all, so she passed away. Um, very suddenly, but very quickly, and right. while she was having a good time, too, which with her husband and friends. So maybe that was the way she would have wanted it if she'd had a choice. I, I don't know. But it left us all pretty sad. Um, and I but, know in the book you said that she had a sense, too, of that she might not be around for much longer. She had told her husband that, I, I believe. Yes. Yes, she did, and they had tried desperately to adopt a, a little girl, and there were all kinds of roadblocks that were put up, that, uh, and they passed all the, the tests and everything that they needed to and the questionnaires and everything uh, as far as their character went, but for some reason that uh, adoption was delayed, and I guess that was one of the reasons why. Maybe it was in the cards that she was not going to live very long. It and you said in the book... It's, yes, it does seem like that, and it was a, a huge loss, I understand. I remember reading, when I first read it, I remember thinking, oh dear, uh, was this something that was done to her? But you had a sense that it was natural causes, am I correct? I think it was. I, I really do believe it was. Um, she didn't play as active a part in this whole situation with Rachel. I mean, she was there and it was her apartment to begin with, but um, I don't think there was really any reason to for them to get rid of her. Um, I, I, she had been a diabetic since she was age eight, and it was a type uh, one, which is the most severe and mm-hmm. which most children get when they have diabetes. And she'd lived far past the uh, expected age and everything, but she was taking proper care of herself, watching her diet, never missing her meds, and and you know it was just uh, it was just her time to go, I guess. Yes. Yeah. As sad but as I don't, that I was. don't, I don't feel that project had anything to do with it. Oh, that's good, you know, because that that's just a whole other level of grief when something oh. like that happens. Oh yes, yes. Now, you had uh, encounters with uh, Marissa after she passed. Tell us about what the special things that happened. Yes. Um, my first birthday in 1991, that was right after I moved into the house I'm in now, um, it was my birthday. And I was just feeling kind of down. I, I didn't know anybody here. I just barely knew the people that I worked for, and I was alone, and and just feeling bad, and I was getting ready for bed, and uh, it was maybe about 10 o'clock, no later, no earlier, and I wasn't in bed, I hadn't fallen asleep or anything, and the phone rang, and I answered it, and it was just kind of a hollow, light buzzing on background sound, not, not a loud buzzing, but just kind of a light, light sound, and it, it just 
seemed far away or anything, and I said, hello. And then a voice said, hello, Mom. I just wanted to call and let you know everything's okay here. I'm all right. And I first I thought it was somebody playing a joke on me. I said, what kind of a, who is this? Who's, who, this is an awful joke to play. And it was like she couldn't, the voice didn't hear me. And they said it again. Uh, I just wanted to call and make sure you're okay. I wish you a happy birthday. Oh, wow. And then I realized it was her voice. It, her voice is, was quite distinctive. And there was nobody that could fake it that, that many words and that many times. So then the voice just faded away. And I hung up and I cried and I cried and I cried. But it was very comforting on different levels. I mean, I'd gotten a birthday call from my daughter. But then how could that be since she'd passed away six or seven months ago? But then I realized you can too hear from those who have departed. Yes. Because I just did. Well, I know when we were talking before uh, we started the interviews, I told you about Roberta Grimes, who had been a guest of mine. Uh, she's uh, very knowledgeable in after-death uh, contact. And she was telling me that they're actually developing a phone where they think in, in just a matter of a few years' time, it will actually be possible to phone the beings who have left <laughs> physical form and have conversations. This is the technology that's so advanced that's coming in now. Well, it's already one way they can call us because she did. She had. Well, now I'm not sure because I don't know about technology, but somebody has something has to dial your number, or your phone doesn't ring. I think. I, I mean, well, yeah, it's, in some way they have to connect electronically, and yeah, very interesting. Somebody has to, something has to be done to put the call through, mm-hmm. and it rang normally, too. Right. No, that's so, that. That's wonderful. That's that's such a gift. I w- I was so pleased, but there was no numbers or anything because usually it shows up on your uh, caller ID. It shows when uh, if someone calls you, there are some numbers or some identification. Almost Did you always. have that back then? Did you, was that like in the 1990s, or was that more recently that she called? That was in the 1990s that she did. It was ni- uh, 1991 that she right. called. And, did and have- I had caller ID at that time. Oh, you were very, you were snazzy. We still have yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking on my phone. I was like, well, I didn't have caller ID. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was lucky. <laughs> oh, that's very but, cool. Um, then there was another time that she had called, and that was, I, I'm looking at an email note that I have I dug out a little while ago. Um, it was back in 2012. And I had gone to bed, and sometime in the, I don't know, in the middle of 2 or 3 o'clock, I probably, uh, probably it was, and, and I woke up, and I had kind of a buzzing in my head, and I don't ever have that. I don't wake up with that, ever. I just usually sleep right through. Um, but anyway, there was a, a sound like in the, in the buzzing in the middle of my head, and it sounded familiar, 
but I hadn't heard it in a long time, and 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 I'm looking at what I have here, and I had said it was almost comforting because it had always been a prelude to something important that was about to happen. And I couldn't think in the middle of the night, oh, oh, do I have anything for tomorrow, or what is this? And all of a sudden, I heard Marissa's voice, and she said, step back. Nothing is what it seems to be. Step away. And I still don't know what that means. But as she finished the last words, the buzzing just kind of dissipated and uh, went away. But that was another time. I heard her voice that time really, really clearly. And was there anything uh, particular going on at that time that it would have helped you to step back from? Nothing that I can think of. Um, I was thinking at that time, I guess, of taking another small job, transcribing job, and uh, I knew it would not, I, I, I could have used the money. Uh, mm-hmm. but I knew that this whole situation would just be miserable. And that may be what she was talking about. I didn't, uh, didn't take that job. Uh, and I'm not sure why. I guess the real reason I didn't take it was because I, in my heart I knew it was, it was just going to be bad all the way around, just working commissions and everything. Uh, but then when I got that message from her, step back. <laughs> Nothing yeah. is what it seems to be. So um, th- that I consider a warning. But every once in a while, while I'm sitting in the evening, I will uh, feel a breeze, and, and there's not a window open or nothing is moving, and I'll feel a little breeze, and, and the cat will get all frizzed up and, <laughs> and uh, act funny, look around, and... Um, I'm pretty sure that is Marissa coming through. But I will occasionally also think that I'm feeling Rachel, too, but it's like somebody grabbed my shoulder and just kind of gave me a good jerk. She's kind of rough, uh, which is surprising. I wouldn't have thought that she would be, but I think that's her, and the cat again gets all upset, and uh, nothing is moving. Interesting. and I also, uh, as far as Marissa, I, I, I know she comes back every once in a while when I'm working on a project that requires quite a lot of thought. I'm stumped for something on it, maybe. And I'll just smell one of the spices that she used to use in baking or smell her perfume, which is a kind that I have never had and it's never been in this house. Right, um, so then you, then you like know that. she's present. Yes, and it's very... It's very comforting and heartwarming, yes. and and it makes me feel happy that she's coming back. Now we only have a few minutes left uh, in this final segment, so I wanted: what is your feeling of after you've released this book? What has what impact has it had as far as you can see, and what kind of reactions did you get to Rachel's eyes? Well, I've had um, good and bad mm-hmm. reactions to it, of course, as you would with a book like this. But all in all, it's been a very positive uh, reaction. For a while, it, it just kind of didn't do too much. I think it may have been just a bit too early for people to be able to accept anything I was saying in it. Right. 
lately, it seems as if um, it's getting very popular and just doing very well. And and I've been able to have people contact me who've had um, experiences not like mine, but abductions and and uh, and seeing strange things and. They will call me or they will uh, email me and tell me, you think I'm crazy? Well, I, I say, no, I don't think anything is crazy. <laughs> and so, well, I've never told anyone about this before, and they go on and on and on. And I'm able to make them feel more comfortable about what has happened to them. Right. Uh, I, I can't give any answers. I, I wish I could, but I don't even have answers to some of my situations. And, and now, we only have a couple minutes left. Um, I want to make sure, Helen, that they know again about the guest webpage and how to contact you in case oh, uh, they would like to request a signed copy of your book. Great. Okay, if you could email me at bookladyhl at aol.com, and that is HL as in Helen Luttrell. It's bookladyhl at AOL.com, and I'd love to send you a signed copy of the book, and I'd like to hear what your comments might be on this program, uh, what I've had to say tonight, or if you have any questions, I'd love That's to hear from you. Oh, thank you, Helen. And I also would love to hear from anyone who'd like to write to me at ConsciousEvolutionRadio at gmail.com. Very interested in your response to what Helen has shared and what we discussed. And I want to thank you so much, Helen, for your courage in coming forward with your experiences. These experiences are really hard to validate, especially the ones that we talked about in this particular episode. But the information, it's so valuable. And just listening to what you have to say, it opens up the possibilities for us in terms of what we're capable of, life from other worlds. And I'm really touched by Rachel and how she wanted a friend. She wanted a mother. And it's an invitation to all of us to open our hearts to people who may be very different from us one day that we may meet, whether they're human or human ET hybrids. So thank you so much for doing that. Thank you for having me on the program. It it really is a privilege. I've enjoyed it so much. Well, me too. Thank you very much. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This is Conscious Evolution Radio. And uh, please join us again next week. Thank you again for tuning in to Conscious Evolution Radio. Please join Ann Gelsheimer for another great show next Friday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. We hope to see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 